and welcome back to Archives of Fabella, the only podcast which takes you on an audio roller coaster ride through time and space in a magical world. As always, books are available on Amazon in ebook and paperback for you to swan dive further into the mythos of this unique world. Head over to archivesofabella.com for more exclusive content. I'll be completely honest with you guys. I titled this episode, Ice and Fire, on the off chance someone searching for the Game of Thrones series, A Song of Ice and Fire, would stumble across this. If that's you, then BOOM! That's the sound of you falling into my trap. In all seriousness, though, please stick around. I promise this story will be well worth your time. Today's story doesn't actually have anything in common with Game of Thrones, because we're going to explore how the Fire Brigade was formed. Fire Brigades are Fabello's version of firefighters. Those guys who roll around in red trucks with their sirens blaring are a vital part of any community. I don't know about you, but if there's a life-threatening emergency in my life, I'm glad these dudes are around. If you're a firefighter, good on ya. Thank you for serving your community, because that's something I couldn't do, mostly because I'm deathly afraid of fire, and I hear that's kind of a deal-breaker. This episode comes at a really interesting time, because the entire West Coast is on fire. Archives of Fabella stands firmly behind these brave souls, fighting these blazes, and our thoughts are with everyone who has been impacted by these tragedies. It's interesting to think about what the world would be like if firefighters didn't exist. How would a community deal with an emergency of incredible magnitude without this team of brave heroes to back them up? Furthermore, how does a magical world react to this type of team? Sit back and get comfy, because that's what we're about to explore here in this episode. I'm Dylan Foley. And this is Archives of Fabella. Beyond our world, there is love. Beyond our world, there is war. Beyond our world, there is life beyond our world there is fabella fifty-eight twenty-nine fy fabella year equal to eighteen twenty-nine ad earth year Invention of steam-powered accessories and the locomotive ushered in a new age of machines in Fabella. A renaissance of sorts took place as people were able to explore regions prior to which remained unexplored. Cities grew larger under the towering castles of kingdoms as empires developed and nations fortified their boundaries. The city of Ioria was not spared from this new advancement in Fabella's history. 
located in the nation of Laxaria, in the far northern reaches of the western continent of Sacria. Ioria's population underwent an unprecedented boom in the mid-machine age. Ioria was poised to become one of the largest cities in the world. Naturally, having so many people in one location presented its own set of challenges, namely a sharp rise in city-wide emergencies, house fires, storm damage, accidental drownings, magical mishaps, the list went on and on. Fortunately though, along with the rise of population came an increase of sorcerers practicing magic. It was the unspoken responsibility of every practicing witch and wizard in the community to respond to emergencies within Ioria. Without a formal team designated by the sitting lord of Ioria, the duty of slaying monsters, rescuing pets from trees, and fighting fires fell on the shoulders of whoever was in the neighborhood at the time. There was no pay. When you responded to an emergency, you did so knowing that you were running into a certain danger without backup of your own free will. This lesson was ingrained in farmer Edgar Ermis from the moment his dark fingertips kissed the handle of his wand. When you have powers that others do not, it is your responsibility to act, lectured his father. The good lord of Fabella did not bless you with this power to crush the weak, but to be a guardian for those in the most desperate of times. Edgar grew up on a mid-sized farm in the outskirts of Ioria. Magic helped immensely in tilling the soil and running day-to-day -day chores all over the farm. Since the passing of his father many years ago, 32-year-old Edgar was forced to do what he could to keep his family farm afloat. Lots of work for one man. In truth, Edgar really wasn't cut out to be a farmer. He was never very good at it. His family started the farm because it had been a profitable trade back before Ioria became a center of trade and commerce. With so many shipments flowing in from foreign nations into the harbor, local farmers found their own population sharply declining. There was no longer such a high demand for produce to feed the citizens of Ioria now that they had plenty of resources at their fingertips. Especially from such a mediocre farmer like Edgar. No amount of magic could help him in the winter of 5829 as an early deep freeze swept across the north. Edgar found himself in hot water with the greedy tax officers at the Royal Merchant Exchange of Lexaria. Banks like the Royal Merchant Exchange had been around for several centuries. Merchantile debts were being assigned through the medium of the Royal Merchant Exchange, which had a shaky history of mysterious disappearing funds. Despite this, the Royal Merchant Exchange was incredibly important to Ioria. Without funds to pay for the resources coming into the harbor, merchants wouldn't unload their goods, and the city could very easily face a famine. 
with the early onset of frigid temperatures decimating local crops in the area. The flow of resources into the harbor from foreign merchants was the only thing keeping the city from descending into complete pandemonium. Paper money was printed on a set of multicolored notes, all stamped with the royal seal of Lexaria, featuring a pair of griffins holding up a crown. Prisms, as the currency was called, ranged in all colors of the rainbow. Violet prisms were worth one, and the rate increased from there with each new color until you got to red, which was worth 100 prisms. Edgar had precious few red prisms to spare. After the early winter added him to the list of farmers who saw their crops shrivel up and freeze to death. Of the 1,200 bushels he had planned on harvesting, he only got around 200. Without the money he counted on coming in from his harvest, he couldn't cover the debt of taxes he owed to the royal family to pay for the land given to him. You know the rules, said the goblin tax officer, Lornus Hassar, from the comfy seat behind his desk. You have to pay for the land allotted to you. I'll get the money. You just need to give me more time, begged Edgar. It wasn't my fault winter came so early. You can't throw us out in the cold. Not my problem. Lornis smoothed back his hair over his pointed ears. Without the funds due to us, I will have to authorize the Iorian military to remove you and your family from the property. My family has lived on this land for years. I grew up there. Edgar did everything possible to get Lornis to take pity on him. I tilled the land. I repaired the roof after a storm blew the tiles off. I feed the livestock every morning. Not once have I ever seen a royal waking up at dawn to help me provide for my family. Why do I owe them money? Because the royal family owns the land, Mr. Ermus, said Lornus as he made a tent with his long fingers. I don't care how much work you and your family have put into the plantation. It doesn't matter if you've been on that land for a thousand years. Every bit of soil is loaned to you by the Empire of Laxaria. You don't own it. They own it, along with all property on the premises. If you can't pay for it, we have no choice but to remove you and make room for someone who can. A defeated Edgar sat back in his uncomfortable wooden chair. Quite honestly, I don't see what the problem is. Lornis said coolly. Aren't you a wizard? Why couldn't you have just thawed the crops which were frosted over or cast a spell to grow a whole field of fresh vegetables? 
Edgar often ran into people who didn't understand the limits of magic, the misconception of non-magical people, otherwise known as sadrus, was that you could do anything with magic. This was far from reality. No spell could just make fresh crops spring up from the ground, if that were possible. Being a farmer would be the easiest job in the world. The most Edgar could do was make fruit ripen. Magically ripened produce also had to be eaten immediately because the spell would wear off after an hour at most. He couldn't bring shriveled berries back from the dead. Additionally, if Edgar had used magic to thaw his crops, it would have destroyed the plants that were already beyond saving. Please, just give me more time, pled Edgar. Lornus struck a match and lit the tobacco in his pipe. I've done all I can do. You haven't done anything, shouted Edgar. Exactly. Lornus shooed the farmer away as he blew smoke rings in the air. Please show yourself out. Edgar had no choice but to leave. He fought the urge to curse Lornus on his way out. That was not the wizard he wanted to be. The royal tax offices were located in the same building as the Royal Merchant Exchange. The bank was one of the grandest structures in all of Ioria. Three stories of the finest marble, prominently positioned over several levels of underground safes, housing money from the poorest farmer to the richest duke. As he walked out of the bank and down the steps, the grandiosity of the building behind him was the last thing on Edgar's mind. His family was homeless, and there was nothing he could do about it. Tomorrow, armed soldiers would be at their doorstep, ready to force the family out into the cold. They had nowhere to go. Edgar had failed in his job as a provider. He didn't know how he could go back to his farm and face his wife after this. The bone-chilling cold of winter snuck right through the heavy coat around Edgar's broad shoulders. Snow drifts, ten feet high, curved over him. Colossal icicles dangled off every awning. Harpies were forced to land because the air was too cold even for them to fly. Edgar reached beneath the layers of his coat with his chocolate-colored fingers to extract his 12-inch cherry wood wand. It was dirty and smudged with leftover fingerprints, but still did the job. He passed it over his tall, six-foot body, whispering, Onto. Red light from his wand passed over his body, warming him and shielding him from the freezing temperature. He immediately stowed the wand back under his coat. If anyone saw Edgar with a wand, they would identify him as a wizard. At the moment, Edgar wasn't in the mood to help anybody. FIRE! Edgar stopped dead in his tracks. He spun around to see a stream of people flooding out of the Royal Merchant Exchange building. Halflings were shoved aside and people were pushed down steps leading out of the bank. Edgar watched in horror as victims were trampled under a stampede of people. Black smoke 
billowed out of the first floor windows. Edgar could see fire eating away at the timber over the main entrance, ready to collapse any second. The third floor exploded like a volcano, sending a shower of broken glass down like snowflakes. Flames climbed higher and higher, rapidly eating away the once glorious structure. He could turn around and walk away. There was no law in the books stating that Edgar had to do anything. The idea that any wizard should respond in times of crisis was an unwritten rule. Nobody knew who Edgar was or that he even had a wand. He could walk away and let the bank burn. Edgar almost did it. He took one step towards the exit, out of the city. Snow crunched under the tread of his boot. This was exactly the moment his father was talking about all those years ago. Edgar had the power and responsibility to do something. There may not have been a law in the books or judges, but there was a law compelling him to serve his community in the Lord of Fabella's book. He knew what he had to do. Get back! Commanded Edgar to the mob of bystanders and curious onlookers as he launched into a run with his wand held aloft. Get away from the building! A troll who had been trampled by the stampede of people exiting the bank lay bleeding on the steps. Edgar rushed forward and picked up the four-foot hairy blue body. The troll was still breathing, but needed urgent medical attention. Edgar waved his wand over the troll's crushed arms and legs, crying out loud and clear. In her. The crushed bones magically mended themselves under the power of his red light. The troll was still unconscious, confident that he could now move the victim without causing more damage. Edgar heaved the troll over his shoulder and rushed him to safety. I need a doctor. Edgar called out to the throngs of people. Edgar's magic could only mend bones for about two hours once the spell wore off the troll's bones would revert back to their crushed state. Magic was only a quick fix. The troll needed to get to a hospital. The witch ahead of Edgar deposited another trampled victim in a wagon stationed off to the side. There was no city-sponsored transports solely responsible for taking the injured to the hospital. Volunteers with wagons and carts were called upon to fill that gap. Edgar raced to the wagon, reaching it just in time as the driver was about to pull away. Are you going to the hospital? The dwarf wagon driver nodded in the affirmative. Edgar deposited the troll in the wagon without another word. A deafening crash pulled Edgar's attention back to the bank just as the wagon clattered away over the cobblestone street. The timbers over the main entrance to the bank had finally collapsed, blocking escape for people still trapped inside. The scene descended into complete and utter chaos. Edgar counted no less than 20 witches and wizards racing to the blaze, trying to put out the fire with any spell they could think of. More were arriving every minute. 
There was no one in charge, so everyone thought that they were the leader. Conflicting commands were shouted back and forth. There was no crowd control at all, as bystanders kept placing themselves in the path of falling debris and getting in the way of emergency responders. There was no organization, only chaos. Abubanus. Edgar summoned a powerful burst of water from his wand at the flames as they tore into the main entrance of the bank. Flames worked their way down the timbers outside. Edgar doused them with another flow of water from his wand. As he did so, he realized something remarkable. It was so cold outside that the water he used to put out the flames was immediately freezing on the timber. A thick layer of ice formed in the few seconds he spent trying to put out the flames. As more witches and wizards showed up at the scene, they too cast the Abubana spell over the outside of the bank with similar results. The bitter cold turned the water out of their wands into ice on contact. Water was turned to spray. Spray was turned to ice. And soon, the equipment, and then the enormous structure itself was turned into a fantastic frozen sculpture. Edgar stopped pouring water over the flames and stepped back to see the bank marvelously sheathed in ice with the blaze of timbers within still red hot. He watched with nervous enchantment as glowing embers were tossed into the sky, almost indistinguishable from the snowflakes, also drifting down over the bleak scene. The ice settled over the bank building in a gleaming sheath of white that made the fire a wonderful thing to see. Ice converted the building into a fantastic palace with rainbows arcing at every turn as the setting sun filtered through the spray and smoke. Ice seemed to form in the very air. It settled into cloaks over the spellcasters themselves, as they had to be chopped and thawed out from time to time, so that they might go on with the work. Stop spraying water, you're just adding to the ice, shouted Edgar, but nobody listened to him. Edgar could only watch in mystified horror as the ice fortified its hold over the building until it became a towering white ghost. Sorcerers around him started discussing other methods of fighting the fire. Couldn't we just repair the timbers? You can't repair something with magic that wasn't magically damaged, said Edgar. Who asked you? Interrogated one of the wizards, hunched together in a pack of followers dumb as rocks. Edgar averted his eyes and turned his attention back to the ongoing disaster. Wheels clattered over the cobblestone street as a gilded carriage pulled by four unicorns arrived on the scene. The doors to the carriage swung open as Entic servants rolled out a carpet while the troll driver of the carriage announced loud and clear, Introducing the Honorable Duke Tybus of Ioria. Edgar 
couldn't help letting loose a groan. Duke Tybus was the highest member of the royal family in Ioria. The entire city was under his rule. The taxes that Edgar couldn't pay all went into this guy's pockets. Born with a silver spoon in his mouth, Edgar wasn't sure Duke Tybus had been out of his palace for years. Duke Tybus stepped out of his carriage in a pair of slippers and an ornate robe around his shoulders. Hardly the best dress for the frigid winter weather. He was an elf of about 60 years old with thin green hair hugging his scalp and droopy blue eyes. The loose skin from his double chin flapped in the breeze like a flag. His mouth practically dropped to the cold hard ground when he caught sight of the bank encased in ice. What the hell is going on here? Edgar turned away, not wanting the Duke of Ioria to take his attention away from the dire situation at hand. He didn't get far when a small voice from the Duke made him stop. My money. Edgar turned on the spot. He had to verify that this actually came from the Duke's mouth. With an untold amount of victims trapped inside the still-burning bank, this piece of trash was only concerned about the flames eating away his wealth. At that moment, all of Edgar's anger boiled to the surface. He rounded on the duke with fire hotter than the one raging inside the bank burning in his eyes. Just what in the world makes you think you can put the lives of people below a petty sheet of paper! Duke Tybus stumbled back in shock. It was obvious nobody had ever spoken to him like that before. Who do you think you are? I'm a man out of luck and out of patience. Edgar jabbed a gnarly, shaking finger at the bank encased in a thick sheet of ice and snow. That fire is still burning inside the bank like a kiln, and it has more than enough paper to fuel it. The chaos you see here is all you're doing. You sit up in your ivory tower, thinking all is well, and it's not. Meanwhile, people like me suffer. We work, we dig, we go hungry, and we face real danger. Nobody. Duke Tybus's voice shook with rage. No, but he talks to me like that. Well, maybe they should, thundered Edgar. I don't know who you are, but I'm going to find out, and when I do, you'll be in for a world of hurt, threatened Duke Tybus. Oh, well, let me save you the trouble. Edgar pointed at one of the little antique slaves in the Duke's company. My name is Serrat Rammer. I live on the Rammer Plantation, about an hour's ride east of here. 
For now, anyway. Just get on Dragon Hollow Road and follow it to the end. Can't miss it. In truth, Surat Rammer was the name of a competing farmer with eyes on Edgar's family plantation. Surat Rammer had cast a spell to salt the ground on Edgar's property, and he'd been busy lately thinking of a way to get revenge. Rammer was sure to point the royal guards to Edgar when they showed up at his front porch. But Edgar planned on having his family long gone by then anyway. Enough of this, shouted Duke Tybus. God, seize him! The pair of fawn guards the Duke brought with him for security were both too busy watching the disaster unfold at the frozen bank to pay attention. God, screamed Duke Tybus at the top of his lungs. Both guards suddenly snapped to attention and advanced on Edgar. Duke Tybus was right. This had gone on for too long. Edgar swept his cherry wood wand lazily through the air. Darkness, Kablu. Two streams of red light smashed into the guards, paralyzing them in mid-step. Edgar followed up his enchantment with the heating spell so that the guards wouldn't freeze to death. Duke Tybus stared at the scene flabbergasted. You just turned a wand on royal officers. Oops. Followed Edgar dryly. That's worth life in prison, shouted Duke Tybus. You'll have to catch me first, quipped Edgar. It became clear to him that continued exposure to Duke Tybus was bad for his health. Edgar had gone a bit overboard, yes, but his motivation was pure. Darker wizards than he had done far worse to people in the past. A paralyzing spell hardly made him an evil titan, but he'd be hard-pressed to find a judge who would see it that way. It was lucky for him, he'd already shifted the blame to Surat Rammer. Edgar turned on his heel and marched back to the bank. Where are you going? Demanded Duke Tybus. Inside. Edgar had settled on the decision to head inside as the word left his mouth. It was the only way to fight back the blaze and rescue those still trapped inside. Continuing to fight the blaze outside wasn't working at all. The smoke had nowhere to go because it couldn't get through the ice. If Edgar didn't go into the bank now, the victims inside would suffocate to death. It's suicide, shouted Duke Tybus. You can't go in there. I'd rather die in there than in prison, quipped Edgar right back at him. Edgar left Duke Tybus behind as he approached the frozen Royal Merchant Exchange building. Most of the water poured out from spellcasters on the scene was focused on the ground level. The entire first floor was encased in thick ice. Edgar could thaw his way inside, but the ice was so thick that that could take up to an hour. Time the people trapped inside didn't have. He also needed help. Edgar made so few trips into the city that he didn't know a soul around him. The most he could do was issue a call as loud as possible at the top of his lungs. Listen up, I'm taking a team inside. 
I need volunteers. None of the witches and wizards around him gave any sign they heard him. I'm going inside, shouted Edgar. I need volunteers to go with me. Then a most unexpected thing happened. A small voice behind him said, I'll go. Edgar turned to see a gnome looking up expectantly at him. She had wide shoulders and a head full of bushy brown hair. I'm Laurel, said the gnome as she offered her soot-covered hand for Edgar to shake. It was highly unorthodox for gnomes, or really any member of the female sex, to be part of such a dangerous mission. Witches were allowed to battle flames because they could use magic, but they were normally regulated to duties that didn't pose much of a risk. Before Edgar could form an argument against her involvement, another pair of voices spoke up. I, uh, I hear you're taking in volunteers to head inside. I'm Tomlin. Tomlin was a harpy. Massive brown wings spanning across his back were coated in frost and ice. Harpies like him built up resistance to the cold, but even harsh winter temperatures like this were pushing the boundaries of what they could withstand. Beside Tomlin stood a merman named Passeran. Gills flexed themselves along his neck, puckering at the cold night air. Mermen, like him, could also withstand cold temperatures, but they didn't do too well with fire because they could die if their skin got too dry. You sure you're going to be okay? Asked tentatively. Passaran blinked his opaque fish eyes and fixed Edgar with a stern look. You let me worry about that. I can take care of myself. Edgar could tell Passaran wasn't someone to be angered, lest he wanted to feel the merman's wrath. No other volunteers stepped up. It would just be the four of them. Stout Laurel, the gnome. Powerful Tomlin, the harpy. And prickly Passaran, the merman. Theirs was a motley crew, to be sure. But Edgar didn't have enough people pledging to follow him inside to turn them away. Laurel tightened the buttons on her green overcoat. The ice around the third floor is thinner. We can use the floating bubble charm to get up there. But I'm going to need someone to blow out the window if I'm going first. I can handle that, volunteered Edgar. If I position myself on the balcony of the hotel next door, I should be able to get a good angle to blow out the window. There's going to be a lot of smoke, cautioned Passeran. We should all be ready to pass the clean air spell. Right, agreed Edgar. We'll trade off with the spell if any of us need to cast another enchantment. Nobody splits off to go it alone. We work in pairs, me and Passeran. Tomlin and Laurel. Everyone nodded in an agreement, committing themselves to working as a team of strangers. Listen. Edgar had never taken command of anything before. It felt kind of good to know he had a team behind him. We may not know each other, but I'll trust you with my life if you'll trust me with yours. People are dying in there. 
and their lives are a hell of a lot more important than any differences we may have. Let's work together and get through this crisis. Tomlin surveyed the window Laurel wanted to use as an entrance. The window is too narrow for me. I'll have to go in through the roof entrance and meet you lot. We'll be waiting for you on the third level. Stay safe, said Edgar. Edgar and Passaran used a floating bubble spell to get themselves up to the third floor balcony of the hotel next door. Meanwhile, Tomlin flew up to the roof, where there was an entrance leading down into the bank. Laurel positioned herself in the alleyway below, ready to float up to the third floor window. What's your normal job? Asked Passaran as his boots touched down on the snow-covered balcony. Farmer, responded Edgar. You. Architect, replied Passaran. I design buildings. We may have to put your experience to work, said Edgar before directing his wand at the window in front of him and shouting, Hapudu. The window exploded in a shower of shattering glass. As expected, a plume of dark black smoke burst out of the open window, climbing high up against the facade of the bank. Laurel floated up in a magical green bubble. Passaran used a spell to clear away smoke so she could see her way in. As Laurel reached the gaping window, Edgar could clearly see that their plan wasn't going to work. The diameter of the bubble around Laurel was too big for the window frame. She tried to force her way inside, but only managed to bounce off the frozen exterior. Laurel did the only thing that she could do, and ended her spell. Kespu pass. The diminutive gnome immediately plunged down as the green bubble around her popped. Laurel was only saved from a nasty fall as she reached out to grab hold of the windowsill with one hand. Are you okay? Called Edgar. I'm fine, shouted Laurel back. Using all her strength, Laurel heaved herself up and into the open window. She waved to the boys to signal that she was safely inside the bank. We'll have to jump across, said Passaran. The floating spells won't work. Think you can clear it? Asked Edgar. Passaran dropped back as far as a balcony would allow. The scales of the dragon hide cloak around his shoulders rubbed up against the locked door behind him. With a deep breath, he ran forward, sprang up to the ice-covered stone railing surrounding the balcony and pushed off to the still air between the two buildings. He didn't have enough momentum to make the jump, Edgar could see him beginning to descend too early, thinking fast. Edgar pointed his wand at Passaran's back and summoned the pushing spell. Abaku. Red light from Edgar's wand caught Passaran mid-descent, pushing him the distance he needed to make up to grab hold of the window frame and pull himself to safety. Clear the way ordered Edgar before directing his wand at the railing to blast it away so he didn't have it as an obstacle to leap over. Hapadu! Stone fragments of the railing landed in the snow below. Edgar then pointed his wand at the door behind him, blasting it open to a darkened hotel room. 
Confident that he now had a good, unobstructed running start, Edgar dropped back into the hotel room. Now was the moment of truth. He took a deep breath and charged forward, summoning every ounce of power in his legs. He launched himself off the jagged edge of the balcony. His perfect arch led him to tumble directly through the window and inside the burning bank building. Passeran and Laurel were already working to fight the flames, blocking the path Tomlin needed to take to reach them. The smoke was so thick, it was impossible to see anything without casting the clear air spell to create a pocket of breathable air. Tomlin was too busy casting a clean air spell on the other side of the flames to prevent himself from suffocating that he couldn't cast Abu Banis to put out the flames. Two spells could not be cast at the same time from one wand. Laurel had to use her wand to create a pocket of air around Passaran as he battled the flames single-handedly. Edgar rushed forward to help. Abu Banas. With both Passaran and Edgar working together, they put out the flames to let Tomlin meet them. Split up into your groups and look for victims, commanded Edgar. Work fast, advised Passaran. The fire is eroding the structural supports of the bank too quickly. We have maybe an hour or two before she collapses. A burning timber fell behind the quartet. Maybe less, added Passaran dryly. Edgar cast the clean air spell over himself and Passaran as the two of them took off through the bank. They stuck close to each other, calling out loudly to the smoke-filled building. Blackened walls hissed like a hundred snakes in the smoky darkness. Waves of flames churned over the ceiling like a burning ocean. Edgar couldn't help feeling horrified and lost in wonder at the same time. Is anyone here? shouted Edgar into the dense smoke. We are here to rescue you. A weak clanging of metal against metal reached Edgar's ear. He reached out a hand to alert Passaran. Did you hear that? asked Edgar. No, said Passaran. The clanging continued. This way, commanded Edgar. Hurry. They followed the clanging down to the base of the second floor, and Entis lay trapped under a wooden beam that had fallen on her. All female Entics had blue skin. The little yellow glowing bulbs of antenna atop her head dimly shined in the thick smoke. She managed to find a rusty pipe which she used to smack against the metal statue that had toppled over in front of her. Passaran wasted no time, summoning a spell to lift the beam off the Entic victim. Dapu. Edgar zoomed forward to pull the Entic queen out of the rubble with his free hand. It's okay. You're safe. My, my son, said the Entis mother weakly. Edgar's blood ran cold. As he looked around the ruined bank building, as far as the air pocket around him would allow, before being consumed by smoke, Entics were only about four to five feet tall as adults. Their children were even smaller. 
Trying to find an antique boy in this mess would be like searching for a needle in a haystack. We have to get her out of here so she can be taken to the hospital, said Pazaran. Only then can we search for her son. Edgar tried to think fast. The ice is too thick on the first and second floors. Our only way to get victims out is going to be on the third level. Passaran was also busy deep in thought. The bank is a loss anyway. We can just take out a wall on the front of the building to vent the flames, getting the fire under control, and use it as an egress. Works for me. Edgar was in favor of any plan that did damage to the bank. Passaran and Edgar climbed back up to the third floor to meet Tomlin and Laurel, who had managed to find a familiar goblin. It was Lornus Hasser, the goblin tax collector who had denied Edgar an extension on his returns. Edgar didn't know whether he was thankful this was the case or upset that Lornus wouldn't know the man he dismissed hours ago had led the rescue mission to save his life. Edgar, I need your help, called Passaran. Edgar and Laurel both joined Passaran as Tomlin cast the clean air spell over them. Passaran had found an isolated section of the wall that they could safely remove without causing the bank to fold like a house of cards. Together, said Laurel. One, two, three. All three of them shouted, Haparu, at once. Red, green, and blue jets of light smashed into the wall, tearing the entire wall clean off the bank. Wizards and witches under the area had to scatter as the wall crumbled to the ground. Edgar and Tomlin tossed the Entic and Lornes Hasser out of the gaping hole in the side of the building. Spellcasters outside used magic to slow the victim's descent so that they were gently nestled into wagons waiting to whisk them off to a hospital. Through the hole in the bank, Edgar could clearly see Duke Typus's stunned face with his mouth gaping open in shock. They shared a brief glance as thick with tension as the black smoke inside the bank. Edgar turned around to head back down to the lower levels of the bank with Passaran. Everywhere they went, they found someone raising their hands in the air, crying, Help me! Help me! Passaran and Edgar continued to make their trips back and forth with victim after victim they found in the depths of the bank building. More spellcasters joined the rescue effort. Passaran kept using magic to lift up fallen beams, stacking load-bearing pylons to hold up the bank floors to keep the building together long enough for as many victims as possible to be rescued from the rebel. As hard as they looked, Edgar and Passaran still couldn't find the missing antique boy. They searched high and low as they battled through the flames, consuming the bank to little avail. Then, Edgar saw it. The small, dark, crumpled body of an antique boy tucked into the corner of the second floor. He was so little and easy to miss, but it was him. There wasn't a moment to lose. Edgar charged forward. Wait! Passaran urgently called out. Stop! He was too late. The wood floor beneath Edgar suddenly gave away. Flames licked 
at his flesh. He saw the antic boy also falling and dove forward to hug the boy to his chest before the boy fell to the depths of the hellish nightmare below. Gapu! Edgar's descent stopped, suspending him directly over the burning inferno. He looked up to see Tomlin hovering over him with his wand drawn. Tomlin swooped forward with his massive wingspan. Grab my hand! Edgar reached up to grasp Tomlin's hand as he passed. Tomlin's wings were too big as he swooped low to save Edgar. The edge of his feathers caught fire. He struggled to keep himself in the air as flames spread across his wings and back. Tomlin screamed in agony as the flames licked at his back, but he maintained his grip on Edgar and the Entic boy, never letting it slip for a second until he could safely drop them off. Tomlin crumpled to a heap on the floor. Abubanus! Passaran put out the flames over Tomlin to save him. Laurel zoomed forward to check on the Entic boy and Edgar. His pulse is weak, but it's there. Edgar turned his attention to Tomlin. How are you? Fine, gasped Tomlin. Passaran stood up to look over the inferno below. We can push back the fire and get it under control from here, but we'll have to work together. Edgar, Passaran, Tomlin, and Laurel lined up on the jagged edge of the collapsed floor. The ends of four wands lit up in red, blue, white, and green as they shouted Abu Banis all at once, turning loose a high-pressure blast of water on the flames below. The wood flooring under Edgar suddenly collapsed, sending him plunging down to the ground floor. Fortunately, the fire had been cleared from this area, so he just fell on top of a charred desk, steaming like a pot of tea. Are you okay? asked Passaran. Edgar gave him a thumbs up. We're coming down, announced Laurel. Hang tight. Tomlin was left to handle the fire from above while Passaran and Laurel battled the encroaching flames to reach Edgar. Edgar turned over desks, chairs, anything that he could think of to form a barrier against the fire, all while casting Abu Banis to soak everything around him. The fire howled and clawed at him in anger like a wounded beast. The flames retreated back, frantically looking for anything to climb, spitting embers at the advancing sorcerer the whole way and hissing like a snake. Suddenly, the inferno shot forward, bursting straight at Edgar with all its might. Edgar ducked under the desk as the flames licked at the air above him. Tomlin shot a fountain of water so strong, Edgar felt like he was under a waterfall straight at the rogue flame. Edgar emerged from the desk, dripping head to foot, but alive. A body flew through the air to land beside him. It took Edgar a minute to recognize Laurel. Passaran had thrown her over the line of fire, blocking off their stairway. Couldn't let you have all the fun, quipped Laurel. Edgar felt like an icicle. Glad you could join me. Edgar and Laurel cast Abu Banis over the flames, blocking the stairwell to clear a path for Passaran. There were no longer any flames behind them. All that remained was a dying inferno in front. One more burst from the four of us. That's all it needs. Edgar climbed atop a desk. Ready. 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 
came the reply from his brothers and sister in arms. Edgar raised his wand. Abubanus. Water from the wands flowed over the fire, diminishing its power until it was just a ghost. And then nothing. Edgar fell to his knees, satisfied that the fierce beast was finally dead. It's over. Thank God. It's over. Edgar disappeared from the scene of the fire as soon as he could, to avoid being apprehended by Duke Tybus and his authorities. He didn't make it back to his homestead and farm until the wee hours of the morning. Even then, he wasn't able to get any sleep. Instead, he had to wake his wife and explain to her what happened at the bank. The next few hours of the morning were spent in a hurried dash to pack up as many of their treasured possessions in preparation to abandon the family farm. Edgar made little eye contact with his children as he swept his wand lazily through the air. He was a failure and loser for not being able to support his family. The last thing he felt like was a hero. So when he heard a harsh knock, on the front door of his homestead, Edgar's spirit and energy were low. Utter terror seized every fiber of his being. Tathma. Edgar swallowed hard as he called for his wife, and his hands tightened over his cherry wood wand. Take the kids out the back. Don't wait for me. His worried wife dutifully hurried off, while Edgar tentatively approached the door. His hands trembled as he opened the door to find Duke Tybus on his front porch. May I come in? asked Duke Tybus. Edgar hesitated a moment, before stepping aside to allow the elven moil inside the house. Duke Tybus's eyes swept through the empty household for a moment, before turning to Edgar. May I have a drink? Edgar recalled there was one bottle of wine left in the cabinet. He swished his wand to summon the bottle, and was lucky enough to locate a glass for Duke Tybus. The bottle floated forward, buffeted by red light from Edgar's magic, to settle on the rickety wooden table in front of Tybus. Edgar heard the sound of his wife pulling their carriage away from the house. Tybus also heard it and turned in the direction of the sound. In an effort to distract him, Edgar quickly filled a glass with wine and slid it to Tybus. How many died? Eighteen less than there would have been if you and your team hadn't acted when you did, responded Lord Tybus before taking a sip from the glass. The door suddenly swung open and allowed one of the law enforcement wardens on Tybus's service inside, along with the wintry chill of the air. My lord, we caught the family trying to escape. Sure enough, Edgar's wife and five children were brought inside by wardens. 
Bring them forward, commanded Duke Tybus. I wish the whole family to hear what I have to say. Now Edgar was really afraid. He motioned to his family to huddle behind him. Tethma, his wife, hid her wand beneath an apron, gripping it so tightly, pink sparks shot out the end. Both parents stood against Duke Tybus, shielding their children from harm. A smile spread across Duke Tybus's face. All your debts are forgiven. After what you did, your family is free to stay. Edgar stared at Duke Tybus with a speechless look of utter astonishment on his face. I was wrong to put money before people, continued Duke Tybus. You did the right thing. If it were in my power to have united, I'd do it. Edgar was rendered temporarily speechless. This was the absolute last thing he expected. Duke Tybus wasn't done there. May I ask you a personal question? Inquired Duke Tybus. Edgar nodded. Duke Tybus downed the last of the wine. Do you like being a farmer? It's what my family has always done. Responded Edgar. But is it what you want to do? Pressed Duke Tybus. Edgar wasn't entirely sure what the Duke was getting at and truthfully answered, No, I don't like being a farmer. I'm not any good at it, but I don't know how to do anything else. Duke Typus straightened up in place. Well, perhaps we can find a different role in society for you. Edgar couldn't be more confused. I don't follow. What happened at the bank can't happen again. Duke Typus fixed Edgar with a steely-eyed glare. When I arrived at the bank yesterday, I saw disorganization and frantic people without leadership. Less lives would have been lost, and we would have been able to stop the fire sooner if we had an organized brigade of people dedicated to fighting the blaze. The city is growing. Calamities like this are rising. And it's only going to get worse if we don't do something about it. What do you have in mind? Asked Edgar. I want to create a team. Duke Tybus rose as he towered over Edgar. A fire brigade made up of heroes like yourself to protect people in harm's way if you'd consent. I'd like you to lead it. Edgar couldn't agree fast enough as his spirit soared. When do we start? That's going to do it for us today. Archives of Abella is created hosted, and edited by Dylan Foley, with music by Garrett Ferris and audio blocks. As always, look outside of what is possible, and think about what might be.